It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Ben Dominic is going to be coming up at the bottom of the hour. The deep thinker from the Federalist is also a Fox News contributor. You know him well. Uh, we're also going to take your calls at 1-866-408-7669. So we have a lot to discuss. Hope you had a sensational weekend. We appreciate you coming here. So let's get right to it. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Liz Cheney appears to be on pretty thin ice within her own party. What's interesting with Cheney is that she's kind of a barometer. And if she stays or goes, that's an indication of just how fractious this party is. Party politics, where and why both parties are going good and where they're both going bad at this point and what it can mean for 2022. Number two. Are the policies of the Biden administration to blame? No. What we're seeing is a surge of people to the border. We've seen that uh, in the past. But we inherited a totally broken system, broken intentionally. That is 100% wrong. And guess what? Ron Klain said the same thing, the chief of staff. The border, and that was Anthony Blinken. Now he said that on 60 Minutes. Border crisis continues to plague Biden administration and their explanations don't pass the laugh test. I'll explain. Number one. The president has been clear that he is willing to negotiate. Democrats and Republicans should be able to find common ground. The president has said his red line is inaction, that we cannot afford not to make these investments. We'll see, Anita Dunn. She has some genius comments to make all weekend long, but whispered them. The sell for six. The sat six trillion. Yes, the president will be hitting the road and try to tell America the only way this country recovers is for him to spend more money we don't have. We're going to go over the perils of tax increases and spending increases and the real movement on possible compromise. You know, you notice the president never talks about, or no Democrat ever talks about cutting spending. Just talking about tax increases and spending money on and balancing out America because it's too tilted towards the rich and successful, which part of capitalistic principles and market economies is you compete. And some people are up. Some people lose everything. Some people are down. And the thing is, you go compete. You start from zero. You start on third base. Whatever it is, you compete and you get there. And if you make things better for you and your family, the next generation benefits and you build from there. You hope. So let's talk about what the president's going to do. He's making a lot of trips. Uh, He's going to be hitting the road this week to drum up support for all of his plans. First stop, Portsmouth, Virginia. He's going to go to a Yorktown school. Guess what? Excuse me. That's uh, Yeah, that'll be later on today. Joe and Jill Biden will be in Yorktown, Virginia. Of course, he's going to visit a school. I don't know where he gets off visiting a school. When you have so many schools that are not in session or just in session for a couple of days and for two and a half hours, he's going to schools as if he's taking a bow. If I was him, I'd stay away from schools as much as he stays away from the border. Both a disaster. Both show no leadership. Next, he's going to uh, Kamala Harris is going to go to Milwaukee on in Wisconsin on the 4th. Okay, that's interesting. On Wednesday on the 5th, Harris and uh, the Commerce Secretary will go to Providence, Rhode Island. Jill will go to Salt Lake City and Las Vegas. 
And then Jill and Joe will go to uh, Jill will go to Colorado Springs on Thursday, and Joe Biden to to Lake Charles, Louisiana. Why? Because they want to put pressure on Senator Cassidy to go along with this bill. They need some votes because they don't have Joe Manchin. No one does. You know why? Because it's so ridiculous to go ahead and put up the corporate tax rate to twenty eight percent. We're not competing with America. We're competing with other countries. If America's tax rate is too high. American businesses, other businesses don't come. American businesses don't stay. That's what people don't understand. So you know what their idea was? Let's have a global minimum tax. So everyone's taxes will go up globally. Really? If you're France, if you are uh, Syria, if you are Russia, yeah, let's go along with what America wants. Uh, I think if that worked, we would not have any problems with Iran. We'd not have any problems with China. But not everyone goes along with America. I don't know if they've noticed. So look at what he's doing. $1.8 trillion for the American Family Plan, right? $2.2 trillion for the Infrastructure Plan, correct. $1.9 is already passed with this relief package. Relief we don't need because the economy is already growing at 6.4%. Unemployment at 6%. To put in perspective what the president is talking about. The New Deal, we're in a depression. A war is imminent. We can't get people to work. We can't get people to make anything. So what do we do? We take a whole bunch of money on deficit spending, did FDR, and started having make-work projects and started building up the infrastructure in this country. That cost, inflation, dollars taken into account, $856 billion. That's, not, that's half of what he already passed, the one bill, Okay. The recovery from the Great Recession, not too long ago, 2009, total $1.8 trillion. He wants to spend $6 trillion. It's nuts. Ron Klain, on why we need it, he is the chief of staff cut to. People have watched their government deliver 220 million COVID shots in 100 days. They've watched us deliver a rescue plan that took this economy that was dead in the water 100 days ago not true. and created more new jobs in the president's first 100 days than any president in history has created in his first 100 days. So I think what the public is seeing is that America is on the move again. And these common sense measures to give people some help with their child care, to give people uh, uh, some money, a tax cut to help raise their kids, are the, is the kind of common sense action they want to see this country take now. So he's cheerleading, but he's not saying anything accurate. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the economy's getting on the road thanks to the rescue package. Are you kidding? We already had... A- trillions in the mainstream and we did not need the 1.8 trillion because so little went to rescuing anybody went to your own political agenda as i mentioned we were already on track and we didn't need a big break there wasn't something going on there wasn't a natural disaster or a war to recover from we put our economy and we brought it to the curb unemployment is at 14 percent now it's down to six. We're beginning to roar. The problem is they have so much money. People don't want to go back to work. We can't get truck drivers to deliver gasoline. We can't get restaurant workers to work in restaurants. We can't get casino workers to work in casino. The hospitality industry, people are getting paid so much they're not going back to work. More than unemployment. That's the problem. He overpaid. If you want to, have any, if you want to point to any figures, it's to that. Larry Summers the Treasury Secretary for President Obama. I don't know if you heard, but he's a Democrat. He said there are already labor shortages in food services and retail. We're already seeing spikes in the price of lumber and housing. 
you would not believe how much that affects everyone. If you're building a house or a condo complex and you've got financing for it, and suddenly your lumber costs have doubled, your piping costs and plumbing costs have doubled, just because inflation dollars and it costs more or delivery's long and you've got to pay a premium, all of a sudden it doesn't make sense to build that project you were going to do before the pandemic or under the previous administration. The bottom falls out. Cecilia Ruse is a Council of Economic Advisor. She's chairperson. Seems like a lovely person. Terrible interview, so I won't play too much of this. But listen to what she was saying about the need for a corporate tax increase cut for. The idea is to ensure that corporations are paying their fair share to button up some of the loopholes which have been really not which have meant that corporations were actually uh, putting more money offshore um, off of the US soil um, and having a global minimum tax so that we're working with our trading partners working with the rest of the world so that corporations are paying their fair share worldwide president biden is really saying look everyone should pay their fair share and yes internationally we don't want to be disadvantaged so he's also working with other countries so that we have a minimum tax internationally so that there's not a race but, to the but, bottom but, are you kidding so what you're going to do is make everyone keep their taxes high to keep products high if france wants to compete or the eu wants to compete and go below us now we're going to say why don't you just stay the same Joe Manchin says, I'm not going to go up to 28. The lowest I'll go is 20. The highest I'll go is 25. Right now it's at 21. People said you should have made it 19. But for Republicans, they dig in. They're extremely proud of the corporate tax rate. Senator Bill Cassidy, who is somebody the administration feels they can convince to go along with these tax increases and some of the spending. Cut five. There's a lot in there which is easily disputed. She talks about big government being essential, essential to vaccine development. Pfizer did not take federal dollars, for example, to get that vaccine. It was the Trump administration and Congress given regulatory flexibility. I would argue at the era of bigger government coming back will thwart the progress we need to make. Uh, and I think we can see recent history about how that is exactly true. So we'll see. Uh, I think he says they are making progress. Uh, uh, Senator Capito says they are making progress. Senator Barrasso says they're making progress. Republicans are at $600 billion. He's at $2.4 trillion. And he says, I'm, I'm willing to talk. He has to. He can't even get reconciliation passed. So we'll see. The other area I want to talk about what's happening politics, because I'm fascinated by what's happening within both parties. I mean, for example, you have... A lot of concern about defund the police with people like James Clyburn and James Carville said that is the one phrase that almost lost us the presidential race. And now they're actually doing it, defunding police in Minneapolis, defunding police in Seattle, defunding police in Los Angeles, in New York. That is actually happening. It's no longer a theory. They just don't want to use the words. The other thing is this whole woke culture from now getting rid of Snow White to Dr. Seuss to canceling people about what they did in the 1980s to uh, Jay Leno apologizing for jokes he made about Asian people. I mean, this is unbelievable, and it's coming from the left. And the average American who doesn't really walk around uh, digesting the polls is saying, I'm, I'm out. So what Republicans have to deal with is people that are against Trump but are conservative, like Liz Cheney, like Adam Kinzinger against Trump, Ben Sass against Trump, Mitt Romney against Trump. So they might be conservative and uh, absolutely horrified by what we're seeing but they are they dividing the party. Do they have to make a choice, either go with Trump or lose? And if you go away from Trump, with Trump just getting 40 percent approval in the country, maybe 95 with, uh, with the GOP, are you going to win an election? That's the key. 
So here's what Lonnie Chen said about the fact that Mitt Romney got booed in Utah in front of the Republican Party and that Liz Cheney is losing support among the Republican caucus in their meetings in Florida the last weekend. And people, there's a movement now to take her out of her number three spot. Big fan of Liz Cheney. I think she's strong, tough, extremely smart and experienced. But she, when she went against Trump to the degree she did, she is now losing a huge swath of her support. Cut 33 is Lonnie Chen, a research fellow at Hoover who used to work for Mitt Romney. Cut 33. I think cultural politics have always been part of the Republican Party. But just as you've got those examples, you've got a number of Republican governors who aren't focused on these sorts of things. You know, you think about Larry Hogan and Charlie Baker and Mike DeWine and Phil Scott. Uh, a series of governors who are focused on governing and really the longer run vision of what the Republican Party needs to do to be successful in urban areas and suburbs and places like California, where I live. Uh, because, look, you know, the, the, a lot of a lot of the Republican Party now, the dialogue does seem to be around what the kids call owning the libs. But in the long run, I think that's probably not what's going to make the Republican Party successful. And I think the yeah. examples set out by people like Baker and Hogan and others, those are going to be the kinds of things that will make the Republican Party a successful governing coalition nationally again. And that's really what I look for. And speaking of governors, there's a big push. Five states already have passed the bills that limit rights of protesters. Uh, by the way, not protesters when they turn into riots. By the way, 27 other states have already had bills introduced that would also crack down on them. When it comes to guns, they're going to bat for guns. They've passed new laws that loosen gun restrictions, including in uh, Tennessee. So far, every state in the country has had bills introduced that would do one thing on the gun issue, and that's loosen restrictions. Seven states have passed laws to prevent the transgender youth from participating in women's sports. I think that's extremely popular, too. But when you come out against uh, Trump, that, that is a problem. I don't care how you feel about Donald Trump. He is a behemoth on the political stage, and he is a, he is a huge force amongst Republicans. No one's even close. For Democrats, they have their own problems. They just lost what they thought was going to be a seat for them in Texas on a special election. In fact, they had a runoff election. Not even a Democrat got in the top two to run off. It's both going to be Republicans. Now, we also, with the consensus, with the census now out, they're going to pick up additional seats in red states. You would think they're going to get the House. They're en route. For James Carville, he sees where this party is. You know him, the de Democratic pundit. You got Bill Clinton elected. Cut 32. In politics, you should speak the language of the people. You should speak clear, direct English and address people as they address each other, not like the humanities department at Amherst wants you to address everybody. This whole defund the police stuff cost us congressional seats. People don't want to live like this, scared to, to address an issue because it, it might come out the wrong way. And no one is using their language except for you know, some of our people on television, if you go to, and if you need wokeness, just go listen to NPR. He was, and he goes off on this. Now, Bernie Sanders, you'll, I'll play a little bit later. He goes off on James Carville. Who cares what he thinks? I don't know. I think if I'm a Democrat, I care what he thinks. So, and I, I know I agree with him 100% the woke politics, the same reason why I keep retweeting Bill Maher's monologue from HBO. It's not because I love HBO or Bill Maher. It's because I totally agree with what he's saying is that he's tired of people cracking down on other people that are speaking their mind, and comedians cannot even exist and be funny if they can't be real and give their opinion without worried about being canceled. Of course, I'm not. he's not worried about being canceled, but he's worried about the country. Of course, he's a liberal Democrat. That'll never change. But this stuff that's going on right now has to. The latest one is Snow White because she was asleep and got a kiss when she was asleep, and that's the wrong message. Are you kidding me? 
Dr. Seuss, Snow White, this stuff is out of control. one 408 7669 I'll take your calls. Then look at the big picture with Ben Dominich and also talk about what's happening uh, at the border. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm just scratching the surface. Don't move. Questioning everything. everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Is it problematic to tell migrants, well, no, you can't come here, and then at the same time create a different situation on the ground that does allow them to but, come? But the point is they're, they're not. And what's one of the challenges that, uh, that we've had is that um, traffickers and others are trying to tell them that the border is open. It's not. But children are being allowed in, and they're being... Children are the one exception, because we, we will not... It is, the, it is the right thing to do. We are not going to abide the notion that children are kept in a precarious, dangerous situation. That is unacceptable. What is this unacceptable? Does Anthony Blinken supposedly that really smart, plays in a band, everyone seems to love him. So he's been around Joe Biden forever. Joe Biden knows what it takes to secure the border. You have to think, even from 1975, if he was even paying a little bit of attention, you know the problem at the border is lack of security and the message to Central America. There's always a tornado or a hurricane. There's always things that are always better in America. And our worst cities better than their best. Got it? So Anthony Blinken knows if you set out the word that you're going to let unaccompanied minors come and stay, they're going to come. And the people are going to sacrifice their homes or whatever they need to do to send their kids here. Because more than likely, they could go follow their kids here. That's what's going to happen later. You know it. Especially in these are the next generation of DACA kids. Anthony Blinken didn't get a follow-up question to say, but you know, Anthony. as Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion. And it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis. Analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Secretary of State that said all these positions with all your experience, if you let the word out that you're going to let unaccompanied minors in, it's only going to bring in more kids. And is it humane to give them the message to go 9,000 miles with a drug and human trafficker to drop you off over a fence or in a rowboat at the Rio Grande River after you already get paid? Of course, it doesn't make any sense. And he says it and doesn't get a follow-up question on it. And when they, Anthony Blinken and Ron Klain come out and say it's Donald Trump's fault, the message, the, the border was broken and he knew it, it was done intentionally. No, the border was secured. They said remain in Mexico. They said the first country you're in, you have to apply for asylum in our country. And then we'll evaluate your application. So if you're going from Guatemala, you stop in Honduras, you make the application in Honduras. That's it. You want to get to Mexico, you got to get through between 50 and 75,000 Mexican Marines. That was the deal the President Trump cut because he said, I'm going to give you tariffs. Tariffs on all your trade if you don't get your border together. That's not broken. That's working. When we come back, Ben Dominic will be with us, Fox News contributor and publisher of The Federalist. Back in a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. For corporations, obviously, they got that giant tax cut in 2017. And what we're talking about is just rolling some of that tax cut back, okay? So we're talking about putting the rate back up to 28%. It was 35 before that tax cut came. So corporates will, corporations would still have the low, a lower tax rate than the rate they had prior to 2017. Uh, we think that the 2017 tax cut didn't meet its promise. You didn't see massive investments in R&D. You didn't see wages go up. What you saw was CEA pay, CEO pay go up. You know, CEOs now make 320 times what the average worker makes. So we think we can raise those taxes on corporations and fund the things that make the economy grow. Bridges, roads, airports, rail. That's what creates jobs. That's what gets this economy humming. I don't think he's accurately portraying what the 2017 uh, tax plan is. I think he keeps talking about everything Republicans are involved with. It's only a tax break for the rich, and that's not even what they were discussing. Uh, Ron Klain gets away with that. So does uh, uh, so does Tony Blinken get away with that. So does Anita Dunn get away with it. The last tax cut was not for the rich. You got 1% off the top level. 80% of the people, American people, got a tax cut. Some people don't pay any taxes at all. It's hard to cut those taxes. Ben Dominich, Fox, uh, Fox News contributor, publisher of The Federalist. Uh, Ron Klain was just, uh, was just full of uh, – it was an palooza yesterday. <laughs> well, it's always good to be with you, Brian. Look, I, I don't think that we can be surprised at this point by the way that – uh, the folks who come out and represent the Biden administration are being treated with kid gloves by so many in the media who, unfortunately, are not pressing them on all of these different issues and uh, and certainly are not calling them to account. We saw, you know, the the devotion that we that there was within you know an entity like the Washington Post to uh, fact checking to the nth degree, uh, in including often behaving in, in ridiculously literalist uh, translations of things. Uh, the previous administration 
they're completely incurious when it comes to the kinds of claims that are being advanced by this administration. And I think we all know why. I mean, this is not a point in our history where we, we have any kind of faith in the media. And by some standards, uh, it's the lowest level that we've ever seen historically in a number of different uh, polls. And there's a reason for that. Uh, and unfortunately, Given the the attitude that uh, is being used uh, toward this by so many people within the media who ought to know better, you know we we really can't expect anything to improve within this area. And the voices that are questioning uh, the uh, approach that this administration has to all manner of policies uh, are being simply dismissed. They're not being dealt with at all. And and you know you'll you'll get one critical question typically from one of Fox's own, uh, that maybe can skate through. But otherwise, uh, everybody just gets ignored if they have a question. This White House doesn't want to answer. Uh, I guess not. Uh, but one thing he, they are seeing is that there's a lot of moderates like Susan Collins, Rob Portman, and maybe Senator Bill Cassidy, if you put him in that category, they're willing to work with him, but not even going to keep raising taxes. Rob Portman, not exactly a firebrand, plus he's retiring. Listen to what he said. Cut 11. I'd love to talk about the higher taxes that, that Janet Yellen talked about because they will not make our economy more competitive. It does just the opposite. I, I respect her, but she's just wrong on that. Uh, in fact, by raising the corporate taxes the way she wants to, you're going to hurt workers. The Congressional Budget Office, which is nonpartisan, says that 70% of the tax cuts went into workers' pockets with higher wages and benefits. And the exact same thing is going to happen if you raise these taxes. And by the way, they're talking about raising the taxes five times higher mm. than the taxes were cut in 2017. So this makes America not competitive again around the world. And everybody thought that was important at the time. And the reason I'm playing that is you lose Rob Portman. You don't have a rational person fighting for you. You're not going to get close to the 10 you need because you don't have Joe Manchin right now with these with these programs, Ben. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think we are really going to see going forward is and that you're well aware of already is, you know, this uh, this administration is not using or interested in a bipartisan approach. Uh, they were not even interested in briefing uh, Capitol Hill Republicans uh, on this infrastructure measure, which is obviously supposed to be one of the most bipartisan things that you could possibly do. And part of the challenge that they run into, Brian, is that using the reconciliation process, which is this legislative process you have to go through in order to uh, get to the point where you uh, don't have the potential of a, of a filibuster uh, requires you to do a bunch of different things in, in terms of the way that you structure it. You can't make the kind of policy changes that Joe Biden would necessarily like to make, uh, or that you know someone like Pete Buttigieg would like to, would like to make within areas like transportation, road building, and the like, what people traditionally think of as infrastructure. Instead, all you can really do is throw money around. Uh, and I think that uh, this is one of the reasons why you know the media is is already kind of comparing. Joe Biden to FDR. This is something that the White House is really pushing. Uh, he's not going to be able to be FDR, and in part that's because FDR had overwhelming congressional majorities. But it's also because he can't even make the policy changes uh, that he'd like to make when it comes to uh, a lot of different areas. Instead, all he can do is spend more of your money. Uh, and in, in this case, I think what you're going to see is him starting to run into a couple of walls politically. The, there's a very limited amount of time to push through as much as they want uh, to achieve. And th they understand that because they're looking down the barrel of a midterm that no Democrat on Capitol Hill uh, is, is really eager to deal with. You saw Sherry Bustos, who led the Democratic uh, efforts uh, in the House last time around, announce her retirement the other day. Uh, and that's likely to be a seat in Illinois that flips 
to the GOP. This is a situation where they're looking down the barrel of that. They're trying to push through as much as they can in as little time as possible uh, in order to spend as much of your money in every way that they uh, that, that they see fit uh, and uh, and try to lock it in before potentially running into a Republican majority, at least in the House, potentially in the Senate. That could prevent them from advancing their policy. Absolutely. And uh, I'll tell you one thing. One of the great moments in American history will be if Nancy Pelosi is out of power. And I hope this time <laughs> she actually leaves like she was supposed to. She said she was going to leave uh, if Hillary Clinton had beat Donald Trump. She was all set to leave. My, my hope is she is done uh, after this and we're done with her because she's done nothing but help herself. And she certainly hasn't helped with San Francisco. Look what a mess that city is. So let's look at this. For Even with inflation dollars, Ben, the New Deal cost $856 billion. Uh, the recovery from the Great Recession, $1.8 trillion. He's spending $6 trillion in 100 days telling us we're in a crisis that we're coming out of on our own. What is it yeah. going to take to break through on this? Is it possible that independents will come around to realize that there is no free lunch and we don't need this deficit spending? Well, I think that, that you're already seeing some early signs of that, Brian, and I think that it's only going to increase as we go into – I mean, just, we're talking about astronomical levels yeah. of spending here. I mean, nothing that we've seen like this before. And the truth is, I mean, it makes the Obama approach uh, look, like, look like one that was fairly centrist and moderate by comparison. Uh, but this, to me, I think is, is an example of – really an irresponsible approach on the part of Democratic leadership. Look, in addition to Nancy Pelosi, you look at the rest of their leadership on Capitol Hill, including Chuck Schumer, including all the other members of their leadership team. They're all in their 70s and 80s. Obviously, we know how old Joe Biden is. And this is a, a team that is just, you know, it's not going to be around to have to pay the freight for all of this. Uh, it's incredibly irresponsible what they're doing, and it's not necessary. The That's truth the is kid. that if we were able to get schools reopened, uh, if we were able to have to hold them to account to what Joe Biden promised on the campaign trail about that, as opposed to caving to what teachers unions want, that would be a much better thing for the economy than we than anything that they would be doing when it comes to spending this money or engaged in in this type of tax policy. It's completely short-sighted, but that's, I think, the, the approach that they've had all along. And they're basically winging it. It's the opposite of what Hillary Clinton was saying. They're not detail-oriented. They're just throwing money at things, hoping that that money is then being able to be spent by bureaucrats in ways that they want to spend it uh, and giving them all manner of resources to achieve their goals. Real leadership in the New York Post over the weekend chronicled these. Uh, they found through Freedom of Information requests, uh, emails back and forth between the teachers' unions and the CDC. They are all over. They are all over this whole uh, the CDC policies and practices. They were telling yeah. the CDC what they wanted to do, and the CDC was doing it for the most part. And we saw the email transmit uh, the communication between them. Now think about this: if you are 78 years old and you're Joe Biden, and everything you've experienced, you're finally president of the United States. You would think he said, "I can't go along with the teachers' union. I will not allow a generation, the next generation of American kids, boys and girls across the country, to be to have their have their learning curtailed or maybe development forever." leveled off because teachers don't want to go back to school, even though there's no risk, almost no risk, and you could see what's happening in other places, in private schools, charter schools, and other states. So listen well, to— Well, and keep in, mind, yeah. keep in mind for a party that complains so much about systemic racism, this is overwhelmingly falling on the backs of, of minority kids. 
you know, you're looking at a situation where that most of the kids who were able to go back to school, they are white kids. Uh, and, you know, in terms of in terms of what we saw most recently, we have the numbers from just two months ago. Uh, you know, you had over you had almost 80 percent of, of Asian eighth graders living, uh, learning in a fully remote experience. Sixty percent of black and Hispanic eighth graders also learning at home full time as opposed to uh, back in school. That's ridiculous. This is this is ridiculous at this point, and I think that we really are well past the point where people have to start calling out the BS that's involved here, uh, because uh, people are not being honest. They said in order for schools to be uh, reopened, that we needed to pass uh, this recovery package to get more money out the door to the schools. Well, as you know, Brian, that money isn't even going to be spent this year. Uh, this is a situation that is just ridiculous, and I think we need more and more people calling it out as such. And you, you will be surprised how many states from New York to California are in a surplus. They have extra money in, in their state coffers instead of less money because of the checks being written uh, from the from the federal government to the state governments. But I want to get you before you go to talk about party politics. So last weekend we saw they, they had a big meeting with Republicans. Evidently uh, tensions are pretty high with Liz Cheney and the rest of the caucus. They feel she goes out of her way to put down President Trump uh, and talk about the division between them and the negativity about January 6th. And they just thought it was way over the top. And then Senator Mitt Romney went to Utah in front of the Republican Party. And, you know, he has been the number one uh, antagonist of President Trump, but yet he was going to be a Secretary of State if he, if he was asked. He listened to me how Mitt Romney was, has received. Cut 36. He's a person who, uh, who says what he thinks, and I don't hide the fact that I wasn't a fan of our last president's character issues. You basically were shouted down from the stage. That, that, that's the most raucous group of, of LDS that I've heard in quite a while. Absolutely. I have to say. Um, that's, uh, that's a BYU-level crowd. Look, I, uh, I understand that uh, people like to play up these divisions, but I actually think to a certain extent Liz Cheney is doing a favor to the party, even if she doesn't realize it. Uh, because every day that they're talking about her – it's just a, a kind of an indication of how isolated she is. Uh, I understand that they didn't want to boot her out of leadership over something like this. You know, that's their own decision at the conference. We'll see if that changes in the future. But one thing I think that it's true is, frankly, she's very much standing alone. You saw Adam Kinzinger, one of the very few people who stands with her, go down to Texas to try to back up uh, his candidate. His candidate came in ninth out of a group that included you know, a number of different candidates who could have been perfectly qualified for it. This is not a, a faction of the Republican Party. It is just a very narrow sliver. And I think that what we see is that in terms of the future of the party, it, all of the future to me looks like people who are going to be able to synthesize and build on what the party became under Donald Trump and, and who he worked with in terms of, of the party actually was across a lot of ideological lines. And in fact, what you see now, I think, is, is far more unanimity among Republicans than you might have expected, in part because Joe Biden has no interest in bipartisanship. Uh, and in a situation where he has no interest in bipartisanship, that means that conservatives and centrists tend to unite uh, in opposition to what they view as being, you know, really some irresponsible approaches to, to government. And look, Ben, I remember, you know, you're, you're – uh... 
your father-in-law is Senator John McCain. I remember watching you on Fox News Sunday and or or Brett Baer's show, Special Report. You weren't happy with the president, uh, with the way he was talking about your father-in-law. But like you understand too, it's like okay, but what is he doing? How effective is yeah. he? Like, well, and compared to what we're I, doing the way now. That I view it is- Personal conflicts are always going to be there within politics, okay? I mean, very few – we are no longer in the era of, you know, the kind of palling around, old guard, smoke-filled room approach to the way these things are going to work. And oftentimes that stuff turns brutal and insulting, and I don't like that, of course. I I don't think anybody really likes to see that. But I also think that, you know, policy-wise – you have to look at things based on what is best for the country and for the for the American people and, and, frankly, for our position in the world. And in those cases, I think what we clearly have seen in the early going from Joe Biden is, is negative in almost every respect. And I think that you can be a conservative and call that out, an independent and call right. that out, uh, a moderate or a libertarian and call that out. Uh, and that's something that I think we can be united around. The Ben Dominich Podcast, you can get it everywhere on iTunes, on Spotify, everything else. And you can always see Ben all over the channel on Fox News, as a Fox News contributor, and he's publisher of The Federalist. Busy guy. Ben, thanks so much. Great to be with you as always, Brian. You got it. Thank you, Ben. Uh, back with your calls in just a moment. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. As the United States draws down, that fight for women's rights is only going to get harder. In Taliban-held areas, they've already stopped girls from going to school. Uh, That is a a little bit about what we're looking at in Afghanistan. You know, you had Senator Hillary Clinton, who became Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and Condoleezza Rice, briefing a House committee, said that there's a real downside to leaving Afghanistan, and there's an excellent chance even Hillary Clinton said of them forced to go back. I mean, put it this way. We are we have supported, we've trained the Afghan forces, whatever you think of them. Now, we're, are we going to sit back and not question our decision when the Taliban take back that country, which we hear is flat out in, inevitable? Within two years, it's going to be like Saigon all over again. We're going to say, what was it for? Or are we going to go back and push back? Or do we leave our embassy there if the Taliban take over? The only thing they promised is not to make an alliance with al-Qaeda or ISIS. But I, do you really think they're going to stick to that? I mean, you have a lot of challenges uh, that we're seeing uh, overseas, especially with Afghanistan. You have a lot of people critical. And I just love the fact that Anthony Blinken is pretending as if this is a good move and that most of the military is with them. Uh, there is no way that General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, supports this. No consequential way. Also, listen to Robert O'Brien uh, talk about right now what Secretary of State John Kerry has been doing and with he dealing with Zarif behind the scenes, who basically apologized for giving away what John Kerry said confidentially, and that is that Israel's been bombing Iran assets in uh, Iran assets in Syria. Cut 48. And keep in mind at a time that uh, Secretary Kerry was was talking to his friend Zarif, and then you know, good for them that they became good friends, and then. You know, see each other in person or talk over the phone. But, uh, you know, I've never received a call from Zarif, and I'm kind of glad I haven't. Uh, they were holding American <laughs> hostages. Their, their, pro- their proxies in, in Yemen were shooting missiles at, at our allies in Saudi Arabia. And, 
and the UAE. They were undermining our attempts to bring peace to Palestine and uh, the Palestinians and the Israelis. Uh, they were, you know, American hostages that were, had been held, hostages that, that Secretary Kerry was supposed to have gotten out as, as part of the first JCPOA, were still being held yes. in, in Iran. So I, I'm not sure what they would have been talking about. And I, I, I'm certain the White House isn't very happy with these revelations. And then after that, there's rumors that the other detainees that they have are going to be freed for $7 billion. Anthony Blinken has since denied that. So they stay. Matter of time, though. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We hope you had a sensational weekend. I'm going to check with each and every one of you when I do have a free moment. But in the meantime, I'm going to go by your word. In a matter of moments, Michael Goodwin will be joining us and uh, letting know what's on his mind as New York tries to uh, admit to the fact that we are killing off this virus. We should be back to normal almost entirely. But slowly but surely, we're actually getting there. And the only reason we're even close to being there is because Governor Cuomo's got nine accusers and two major investigations, and he doesn't need the rest of New York at his throat. But there is some interesting revolutions, uh, revelations about who is actually supporting him. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Liz Cheney appears to be on pretty thin ice within her own party. What's interesting with Cheney is that she's kind of a barometer. And if she stays or goes, that's an indication of just how fractious this party is. Uh, So true. Uh, That is party politics, where and why both parties are going good and where they're both going bad and what it could mean for 2022. Number two. Are the policies of the Biden administration to blame? No. What we're seeing is a surge of people to the border. We've seen that uh, in the past. But we inherited a totally broken system, broken intentionally. Just so you know, that is a 100% lie. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, the border crisis continues to plague the Biden administration, and their explanations don't pass the laugh test but get you quite angry. Number one. The president has been clear that he is willing to negotiate. Democrats and Republicans should be able to find common ground. The president has said his red line is in action, that we cannot afford not to make these investments. All right, that's fine, Anita Dunn, who said a lot of things to really uh, that were totally wrong. Not that. He says he really wants to get a compromise deal done. The sell for six, that's $6 trillion. Yes, the president will hit the road and try and tell America the only way the country recovers is for him to spend money we don't have. We're going to go over the perils of tax increases, spending increases, and the real movement on possible compromise. So uh, let's bring in Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Uh, Michael, I want to get to your column. It's great as usual, where you talk about Tim Scott and how he really outshined Joe Biden. But first things first, does he, do they understand the economy is recovering on its own? that this is pure agenda-driven trillions of dollars? You know, Brian, uh, good morning. I cannot recall another time when a president talked down a good economy. I know. Normally, they inflate uh, the good news. 
and try to ignore the bad news. Here you have the opposite, because, as you say, uh, the Biden administration wants to sell all of this Green New Deal, all, all of these tax increases. They want to sell them. And to do that, they've concocted this idea that the, the economy is dying, people are dying. And unless the government comes in with trainloads full of money, uh, we're all going to perdition. Uh, it's, it's a fantasy uh, for them. Uh, it's almost it, it's that Trojan horse notion again that uh, to pretend that the economy is bad so you have an excuse to bust the budget rules to to do things that you wouldn't normally be able to get away with uh, just politically uh, in a in a in a good economy so you've got to pretend it's a bad economy but but the numbers uh, belie that the numbers show that increasing uh, increasingly fewer people are applying for unemployment. Uh, new jobs are being created. Uh, the GDP is, is coming back. The, uh, the tax revenues that the cities and states predicted would fall through the floor didn't actually fall through the floor. And we're very close to pre-pandemic levels by a lot of measurements. The uh, adjusting for inflation, the New Deal, cost $856 billion. $856 billion in a depression. And then the, the, the Great Recession, $1.8 trillion. We're going to spend $6 trillion in 120 days? If he had his way, he'd be spent already? Listen to Ron Klain taking credit for the, for, the, for, the, for the life in the economy. Cut to. People have watched their government deliver 220 million COVID shots in 100 days. They've watched us deliver a rescue plan that took this economy that was dead in the water 100 days ago and created more new jobs in the president's first 100 days than any president in history has created in his first 100 days. So I think what the public is seeing is that America is on the move again. And these common sense measures to give people some help with their child care, to give people uh, uh, some money, a tax cut to help raise their kids, are the, is the kind of common sense action they want to see this country take now. Do you believe this? I mean, do you see what they slip into the middle of this? The economy was dead. Really? The economy was dead at 14 percent unemployment when they were told to everyone was told to stop working and go home. Literally the whole country. This country is standing up again. Much be a lot faster if he would take his masks off and make his Democratic mayors uh, take their hands off the the back of the bike seat. But he's there. He says the rescue package. Most of the money's not even out the door yet. Deserves credit. Well, and it's it's in keeping, Brian, with uh, what he also said earlier, and you played about the border, that we inherited a mess. No, you didn't. Uh, You created a mess. Uh, Same with the economy. Uh, What you inherited was an economy that was already coming back, uh, primarily because of vaccinations, which you have never once given credit to the to the prior administration for the record historically unprecedented time it took to to develop and to research, develop and deploy a vaccination. Nine months, unheard of. That's what the Trump administration did. And I think the Biden administration would have a lot more credibility if it would stick to the facts. There's enough to do without exaggerating how terrible things are and were. Uh, yes, uh, we were coming out of a pandemic, but we, the, the key phrase is we were coming out of it. It's not that we were still stuck, stuck in it when Joe Biden took office. So I agree with you. I thought Tim Scott, you know, a lot of times the most talented politicians, Marco Rubio on down, 
Uh, they just don't do well. Bobby Jindal is a rising star. He just totally struck out as governor of Louisiana when he had to rebut Bob, uh, Barack Obama. And, you know, Marco Rubio didn't do well either. But Tim Scott did. He, he just said, hey, this is what I think. This is my bio. This is what I think about race in America. This is what I think about police reform. And this is how Joe Biden let me down. You wrote the GOP orator wins the race. You said there were two speeches. Uh, Joe, one was great, and Joe Biden gave the other one. Uh, what sold you on Tim Scott? Well, Brian, I, it, it's, it starts with Biden's speech, which I thought was dreadful in many ways. I thought it was dreary. I thought he was talking America down as, I, as we were just talking about the rescue packages. I mean, it's, 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 the country is in trouble. It's no good. It's systemically racist. It's broke. The government is here to fix everything. Um, and the government is we, – we are the hope. We are the help. That kind of tone, I think it's just wrong. Uh, it's wrong for the country. And it's un, it's, it's un-American. I mean, it's not how we think about America as this broken system that the, needs the government to rescue everybody. Um, I just think that's the wrong approach. Tim Scott – I think countered that uh, by talking about how Republicans are willing to work with Joe Biden, but that the country is not broken. And most importantly, it is not a racist country, Tim Scott said, uh, Senator Scott. And, and I think that is what is so important uh, about his speech, is that you have the only black Republican senator uh, from the South uh, talking in ways about America, acknowledging his own brushes with uh, profiling while he was shopping, being stopped by police for no reason. And previously he has said that he was stopped by Capitol Hill police who didn't recognize him. So the issue is there. It's a real issue. The question that, that I think the Democrats have thrown out uh, or, or tried to convince us of is that the whole system is racist. Every, when you say systemic racist, what you are saying is it's, it's part of the DNA. It's riddled through every organization, every layer, yeah. every, every, every institution in America is systemically racist. That's what the Democrats are saying. And Tim Scott, uh, Senator Tim Scott, says, no, you're wrong about that. And you're also wrong when you try to divide people by skin color, as you're doing in, with the schools and your critical race theory and your, and your focus on the past. He said, we've come a long way. And again, that is what the Democrats want to deny. It's, it's consistent, Brian. They want to deny that the vaccination was there. They want to deny that the border was fixed. They want to deny that the economy was coming back, and they want to deny that America has made and progress on race. I know, and, and they want they, Scott put the lie to that, right? And they wanted they want us just accepting. There's no follow up question. So frustrating. So Senator Tim Scott was on Face the Nation, and he was asked, believe it or not, to clarify what you just said. Cut forty one. Help people understand when you say it's not a racist country, but then you do talk about a system that targets Black Americans. You've talked about it today. Help people square those two statements. Sure. Absolutely. Well, um, first, let me say, thank goodness that finally our president, our vice president, and one of the leaders uh, in the Democrat, Democrat caucus in the House, Jim Clyburn, have all come forward and said exactly what I've been saying for a long time. America is not a racist country. The question is, is there a lingering effect after a couple of centuries of racism and discrimination in this nation? The answer is absolutely. The question we should be debating and fighting over is how do we resolve those issues going forward? 
One side says, I'm going to take from some to give to others. Fighting bigotry with bigotry is hypocrisy. It just doesn't work. The second, our side, what I've suggested is, let's expand opportunity and make sure that we are fully equipped for the challenges of the future. And that's a conversation we could have. And then you watch Maxine Waters. Here's a quote from KTLA. Uh, I don't know if he was counseled, meaning Tim Scott, to say that or whether he really believes it. If you really believe that, then he has missed not only the history of this country, but what it is going through every day. We have seen the nation get more racist than anybody thought perhaps would be at this point in time. And to say that there's not a racist country, maybe he meant to say there are many people who are not racist in this country. But, yes, we have a problem with racism. Yeah, see, the Democrats can't let it go. It has to be for them that way, because that gives them the authority to destroy everything, to destroy institutions, to uh, infest the schools with racism, to teach to teach white kids that they're no good, to teach black kids that white kids are no good. Uh, I mean, that's what critical race theory is about. White people are the devil. That is essentially how it is being taught. Uh, it is, it is uh, using the 1619 New York Times error-ridden project to destroy our history, to say that the slavery was the essence of the Revolutionary War. I mean, eminent historians of, of, of all races have said that's bunk. That's simply made up. And yet it's being taught in schools. And so I think this this narrative that America is no good, was no good, will never be any good unless you give us, the Democrats, the power to remake every institution. We'll remake uh, your schools, your churches. We'll remake your industry, your farmers. We're going we're gonna, to uh, reward black farmers more than white form- farmers. I mean, you're, you're going to divide this yeah. country. And when the president of the United States says repeatedly, uh, uh, talks about systemic racism, what he's saying to millions upon millions of Americans is, you are racist. Now, that is a great insult coming from, you know, the New York Times and other leftist racialized newspapers. To come from the president of the United States, it's, it's intolerable. It is only adding to the rancor in this country. And I know. Joe Biden is no healer. He is a divider. No question. So far, I can't argue with that, but many would. New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor, uh, Michael Goodwin, thanks. My pleasure, Brian. Thank All right. you. All right. See, the lines are filled. one 408 7669 When we come back, we'll go to the phones, and then we welcome in at the bottom of the hour Brad, Raffer, uh, Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of Georgia. Find out about what these Georgia uh, rules and these laws really say. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think the president takes the CDC guidelines very seriously, and he's always taken his role as sending a signal to follow the science very seriously as well. You know, we do take some extra precautions for him because he is the president of the United States. But I would say that people should follow the CDC guidelines and they should take advantage of getting the vaccine, getting fully vaccinated and taking that mask off, particularly as the weather grows so beautiful. As we move forward, I think that you will see more and more people enjoying that freedom, getting the vaccine, 
and realizing it's one big step towards normalcy in this country. And that is Anita Dunn. She's spokesperson, a member of the Biden camp, worked for Obama, too. Admitting that Joe Biden should not be wearing a mask outside. He got vaccinated already. She's just saying he's, he's just being over cautious. That's the wrong message to send. You're upset that Trump's not wearing a, a, a mask? Well, why are you still wearing one in panic when you don't have it on? It's nuts. Jay, listen on WOKV in Illinois, excuse me, in Lake, uh, Lake in Live Oak, Florida. Hey, Jay. Um, how you doing, sir? Good. What's on your mind? I actually called y'all last year about this time when I lost my job because of this whole coronavirus thing. Um, I just wanted to talk about the immigration thing. I, I don't I don't see why it's an argument. I don't see I don't understand why people aren't seeing how this is totally Biden's fault. I mean, forget party lines. Let's just speak on common sense for a minute. When Trump when Trump was in office, he made it where illegals cross the border, they get caught. They have to wait in Mexico for their court date instead of America. And if they wait in America, what are they going to do? They're not going to go to court. I mean, it don't take a genius. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and I can see that's smart. I know. But he's blaming Trump. He said he broke the system intentionally, which is a joke. The system was already broke, and we know that. I almost, I wouldn't be surprised because all the all the immigrants from Guatemala, Guatemala I'm sorry, Guatemala, Guatemala, Honduras, all that, they're not going to go back to their countries and wait. Hell, no. they probably spent all their money to get to Mexico to cross the border. So Thanks, Jay. They're going to wait. That's I, how you- I appreciate it. You agree? You agree with us, Joe in the Bronx? Hey, Joe. Hey, good morning. Uh, first up, uh, with, <clears throat> with regard to the dire situation, increasingly dire situation at the border that's being deliberately underreported in the media, first of all, I want to direct you to UNZ.com. Uh, so basically, they actually cover a lot of what's going on down there with regard to the overcrowding, with regard to the national security situation that's deteriorating down there. Uh, I really want to actually uh, give you that uh, resource because, again, the mass media, you can't trust them. They're a bunch of liars and crooks that want to see this country replaced uh, with a massive third world immigration uh, population that's going to be totally dependent on the government. That's first of all. <clears throat> Second of all, you know, many people make the argument, according to critical race theory, that you know whites are these uh, original racists and they're only capable, they're the only group capable of racism, and that's what's driving their arguments against immigration. Uh, that is total baloney, because the biggest losers in this continued paradigm of massive Hispanic immigration into the United States, guess what? They're going to be blacks in the inner city. Because I got news for you. The Mexicans that live in the United in uh, Mexico who are wealthy, Carlos Slim, uh, you know, all the Mexican attorneys and uh, engineers, they don't want to live in the United States. The people crossing the border on the Rio Grande are the, are the campesinos with the third grade educations that can barely account right. for themselves economically. Well, those are the ones who are going to come here and work or be up to no good. I'm worried about the kids, too. We have no idea their potential, but we can't raise everybody's kids. It's just not possible. They go right on to welfare. Brad Raffensperger next. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You've seen what's happened here in Georgia with your state's laws. It's just wrong. Wrong. And it's why we have to pass the voting rights protection laws coming through the Congress. Right now, H.R. 1 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act both should be passed now. 
Right. Uh, President Biden there in front of a bunch of cars still. He should be having rallies with people out of their cars, but he continues to do that. He goes down to Georgia to thank them by uh, ridiculing their new election law because he says it's Jim Crow on steroids. You remember that? It caused uh, the expulsion of the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. No one's read the bill. They just knew they didn't like it. Brad Raffensperger is getting from all sides. He's Georgia's Secretary of State, and he joins us now. Brad, what was your reaction to the president's uh, comments last week? I didn't agree with them at all. It was pretty obvious to me. They're using Senate Bill 202, which we passed here in Georgia, as an excuse why they want to shove H.R. 1 down. H.R. 1 is a federal takeover of elections. There's no question it's unconstitutional, but in the process, if they found a way to do that with a simple majority or reconciliation, which has no financial bearing, so it shouldn't happen. But if they find a way to do that, I mean, you guys will sue, but while you're suing, there'll be elections going on with H.R. 1 part of the process, right? Uh, Actually would be the law of the land. Well, what H.R. 1 does is it actually creates two separate uh, laws, one for federal elections and one for state elections. That's going to... just caused tremendous confusion for your county election officials. It was written by bureaucrats, not by people that actually run elections. Did you try to get Democratic support for your changes? Oh, absolutely. In fact, some of those were incorporated. It just when you came to the big votes, that's when the, it, you had the team vote Democrats locked down and voted against it. But there were some modifications made in Senate Bill 202 uh, that the Democrats desired to have. So I want you to hear, so Stacey Abrams obviously thinks she's still governor of Georgia, never admits she lost, but of course Donald Trump's the one who's the problem. She never admits she's lost, and she did a good job with their organization uh, getting out the vote. What about what Stacey Abrams did in 2020 made you think that together the legislature had to convene to talk about how, how to address this going forward? What bothered you about 2020? Well, number one, we needed to go away and move away from signature match. It's a very subjective uh, means of identify, identifying voters. We've been sued by the Republican Party, also sued by the Democrat Party. So we're now using driver's license number. It's very objective. It's being used in states like Minnesota, I believe Ohio. So it's really a, a nonpartisan way of doing things. It's very objective. So that's why we incorporated that. That's a good change. So one of the changes, you allow drop boxes. Now, that was just for the pandemic year. But now you're going to put it in in the uh, it's going to be party election process in one per county and two per bigger counties. Some say by the fact that you don't have a lot of them shows you're trying to suppress the vote. This is the first time we've ever had drop boxes that actually been put into state law. Last year it was emergency regulations. We had issues with the post office. No one wanted to go inside. So what do you do? What does that look like now that we're really through the pandemic? It, We're now looking at what do we do long term. So it's actually uh, a minimum of one drop box for all 159 counties. Last year, we had 35 counties that did not have a single drop box. So every county will have a drop box now. And then you'll have really one one drop box for every 100,000 people. So it's population based. It's a measured response to having drop boxes for the first time to make sure it's the appropriate security. Stacey Abrams, obviously, was at Capitol Hill a couple of weeks ago. Here's some of the exchanges, and I wanted you to weigh in on them. Here's one with Tom Cotton, Cut 53. In sum, you publicly attacked the Georgia law as Jim Crow no fewer than 10 times before Major League Baseball withdrew the game. You told corporations that boycotts work, 
do you regret your central role in causing Major League Baseball to withdraw the All-Star game from Georgia? First, Senator, I would not call Georgia a Jim Crow state. I would say that SB 202 is a law that has Jim Crow aspects, and I stand by that characterization. My conversations with Major League Baseball were very clear about the fact that I did not think a boycott was necessary. I was very intentional about my language. I continue to be intentional about my language. So what is your take on her characterizing your bill that way? That's now law. Well, first of all, it's interesting. Now she's backtracking because she cost the state of Georgia $100 million of economic development. And so now she wants to have it both ways. Including changing her editorial in USA Today, post-published. They went back and changed it because it looked as though she wanted to call for a boycott when she supported this. As, by the way, which is unbelievable, of the President of the United States reporting, I'm for supporting for the for the Major League Baseball game to to uh, All-Star game to move. That's unbelievable. But you believe that she was in support of that and is now doing some CYA? Oh, yeah. Obviously, it's pretty clear to everyone. It doesn't take a rocket science to, to figure that one out. But at the end of the day, if you look at the bill, it's common sense reforms. In other words, there's 25 states that do not allow out of precincts voting. Georgia has joined those other 25 states. That's what they do in Florida. Now we're going to be doing the same thing. So I want to hear a longer exchange that she had with Senator Lindsey Graham, cut 50. Do you believe the Republican majority in Georgia, do you think they're motivated by trying to suppress African-American vote? I have seen it happen sometimes that they are. Do you believe that's the motivation behind these laws? I believe the motivation behind certain provisions in SB 202 are a direct result to the increased participation of communities of color in the 2020 and 2021 elections. Do you think the Speaker of the, the House, Jan Jones, is motivated by trying to limit the African American voters in Georgia? Do you think that's I believe there is racial animus that generated those bills. I would not assume that that racial animus is shared by every person. Thank but you. if the result is that racial animus exists. So when you were in that room, did you sense this was about race? Well, when I think about uh, Ted Cruz interviewing her, he really ripped her because he brought out the fact that African-American participation was at 65 percent. And it was the highest it's ever been. And so African-American uh, voter participation is robust. We have record registrations, record turnout. So there's no truth to the rumor that somehow this is a, to, has any racial element whatsoever. We've expanded early voting from 16 days up to 17 days, and we added two additional Sundays. Every county can add it if they want to. We've also made sure that lines stay short by making sure that there's only a maximum of one-hour line. And we've also shortened the runoff period so to make the make elections more efficient. Those are all solid reforms. So now you, you have another – the thing about you, Brad, we're talking to Brad Raffensperger of uh, the Georgia Secretary of State. you got people coming at you from all sides, uh, one of which is Kelly Loeffler. Uh, she wants an investigation into your conduct during the 2020 elections. Uh, I guess it's not going to be granted this investigation, according to the Attorney General Chris Carr's office. What is uh, what would you stand with you and Kelly Loeffler? What seems to be the problem between you two, both Republicans? Well, I think her problem is that she's a fake Trumper, and so uh, she doesn't want people to understand that she donated 
$2,000 to Hillary Clinton in 2007. And our WNBA team hosted a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood. That makes her, in my book, a fake Trumper. And she's just trying to find a reason to compensate for her Senate loss. So uh, that's where it stands. So the investigation would go forward. You call the whole thing uh, laughable. Now, I understand that. Uh, what is your take on Herschel Walker considering uh, to make a run at that Warnock, the, the seat that Warnock has right now that will be up for re-election in 2022? I would say uh, probably with Herschel Walker, 99.99% of all Georgians love Herschel. So I don't know what the man's going to do, but I do know that Georgians love Herschel. As a Republican, do you feel as though he uh, understands the issues that matter most to Republicans in Georgia? He probably does because he's been involved uh, and maintained ties. He, uh, I met him a few years ago at an event. And so obviously he stays up to speed on all these issues. He's a very likable gentleman. Hey, would you take on, uh, is the president, uh, you up for re-election in 2022? Yes, sir, I am. So as you got that, knowing that the president seems to be against you guys, and obviously you've had your friction publishing the phone calls between them or releasing those phone calls between them, how do you think that's going to affect your reelection hopes? Oh, obviously it would be a very competitive primary. And what's your reaction? What's your relationship with the president, the former president? Uh, I'm not his favorite person, obviously, uh, because – he didn't carry Georgia, and things just didn't go his way in Georgia. So, obviously, I've, I've borne the brunt for that. It is what it is. And are you supporting the governor in his reelect? Oh, absolutely. Uh, governor Kemp, and I think he, Governor Kemp is in great shape. Uh, yeah, I guess Stacey Abrams, is it your belief that Stacey Abrams will run again? That's everyone's, you know, question. Uh, she sure has taken time for doing it. Uh, and she's really been out there raising so much money with all of her nonprofit 501c3s, fair fight, fair count, et cetera. And so maybe she doesn't want to give up, you know, her hustle, making all that money on the side. Do you believe that, that her group should be investigated? Oh, I don't know about that. It's probably uh, lawful what she does. It's just, a, it's just an extremely uh, financial financially lucrative business that she has. And my final question to you, Mr. Secretary, as you go through Georgia and, and Republicans try to win it back, are they not looking at the fact that they just don't have, they're not even trying for inner city? They're not trying for the metro areas of Atlanta? And do you think that's a mistake long term because they have a message that could resonate if they put the effort in instead of maximizing the vote of their supporters? Go ahead and get new ones. Well, obviously, we need to grow our party. Obviously, when the Democrats start taxing uh, wealthy people in Georgia, those people that had maybe wandered away from us for a few years may start coming back. So we'll have some opportunities there. But we do need to grow the party. Uh, Georgia is a very diverse population base, and we need to make sure that we're reaching every single you know segment of society with our message. I think really the best message is the message of Ronald Reagan because it was positive and optimistic and uplifting. And it really saw the best in everyone and saw the best in what America is. All right, Brad, thanks so much. Brad Raffensperger, Georgia Secretary of State. Uh, Georgia always seems to be in the eye of the storm, and I'm sure the focus will stay that way up and through, up until and through 2022. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Brian. 
All right, when we come back, down, Dr. Kenneth Hartman will join us, founder and president of the Our Community Salutes USA. It's a great message. Uh, if you care about the military, and I know you do, if you're patriotic, and I know you are, uh, you'll stay tuned to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Tonight we celebrate the high school graduates who have made the brave decision to put their country first. For what you're doing and what you're going to do. The sacrifice, the dedication, and the unmatched patriotism that you all show every day inspires all of us. As a proud American, I'm extremely grateful for your sacrifice. Tonight we are celebrating the foundation of what makes this country so great. The willingness of a few to put their lives on the line to protect the precious freedoms that we enjoy each and every day. To all the young men and women who will sign up and take the oath to the United States Army today. You're going to blaze a trail that's literally out of this world. Uh, There you go. And that's a little bit about the event that's going to be happening today. Dr. Kenneth Hartman, founder and president of our Community Salutes USA, joins us now. Uh, Dr. Hartman, thanks for joining us. Hey, Brian, thanks very much for having me on, and happy Military Appreciation Month to you and your listeners. Absolutely. So it's called America Salutes. It'll be on uh, Tuesday at 7 p.m., and it's a way to salute the next generation, the high school grads that are going to be joining the military, correct? That's right. So just a little bit of a background. I'm an old soldier who, in 2019, in a moment of weakness, agreed to serve on our local school board, where I discovered that we were doing nothing to, to recognize and honor the kids who were graduating from high school and who were enlisting. So I started a nonprofit called Our Community Salutes. We had our first ceremony in 2009. Uh, our Community Salutes got out. We now have ceremonies all over the country. Uh, unfortunately, COVID uh, brought it down last year, so we started America Salutes to honor all 150,000 kids who are graduating this year from high school and have decided to put their country before themselves to give their fellow classmates the freedom to pursue whatever they want to pursue. And how's the response been? Oh, it's been huge. It's absolutely huge. Uh, again, um, the key here is uh, of, of, of getting Americans to not only watch the show, but more importantly, or I should say as importantly, is that we've created a virtual thank you card to the class of 2020 high school enlistees, and we are encouraging all Americans. In fact, our goal is to get one million Americans to go to americasluce.us and sign the virtual thank you card. They can also find out how they can watch the, the show on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. But these kids need to know now more than ever that their nation values and supports their decision to serve our country and to defend their constitution. So you'll have uh, John Ratzenberger will be there, Terry Moore, uh, another great actor. You'll also have Lee Greenwood will be there. Uh, That's part of the show. It's going to be a virtual ceremony, obviously, because everyone's forced to deal with this now. And Pete Hexett's going to be in it. Mark Levin's going to be in it. Coach Izzo's going to be in it. I mean, literally, uh, people, we had to turn people away because it, people, Americans want to thank these kids, and particularly their moms and dads, for supporting their decision to serve our nation. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's free. It's an hour long. All they have to do is go to americasalutes.us, and they can find out all about that and sign the virtual card. All right, great. So, uh, Ken, how many kids are signing out of high school? 
these days? Well, it's interesting. Normally, it's about 150,000, Brian, but this year the military is having a really difficult time meeting its number. Not all the services, but many of them, because they can't get into the high schools. There's, the recruiters can't get in there. And I think people aren't talking much about this, but we have a real security risk here uh, in some locations and certainly in some states. So about 150,000 kids do this every year, less than 1% of the kids that do this. And so, and again, most of the parents typically go underground because they're tired of defending their kids' decision to go in the military as opposed to going to, to college. And trust me, as I mentioned, I'm an old soldier, but also a recovery university president. And I, and I can tell you, these kids are very, very special, and 90% of them are going to go off to college after they serve, and they're going to, with the GI Bill, and they're going to come out debt-free with major experiences, and it's going to be a wonderful thing for them. But it's so important to send them off on the right message. All right, so here it is. It's going to be premiere May 4th at 7 o'clock Tuesday. Uh, the encore again at 9 o'clock. And uh, the website to go to is americansalutes.us, uh, correct? Yeah, americasalutes.us, americasalutes.us. Yeah. Right, uh, no hyphen between them. So, uh, Ken, yeah. real quick, what is, the, what is the sense in the military community about the pullout of Afghanistan? You know, I have to leave that conversation for another time. <laughs> Today we're all about honoring these kids. Uh, I, I actually, my focus is on, 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 on thanking these kids, and my conversations with military folks are all at that level, and they're all supportive because, like I said, everybody wants to recognize these kids uh, who are very special graduates because they're not getting that recognition typically after high school. All right, thanks. Dr. Kenneth Hartman, thank you very much. American Salutes 2021. Uh, keep it here. Brian Kilmeade, don't move. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. This hour, we're going to be joined by uh, John Levine, uh, New York Post. He talks about what's going on with the teachers' union and the CDC. And then Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour, who had dinner with my only superstar friend, uh, which is Sylvester Stallone. How the heck did he have dinner in Palm Beach with Sylvester Stallone? I'm going to get to the bottom of that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Liz Cheney appears to be on pretty thin ice within her own party. What's interesting with Cheney is that she's kind of a barometer. And if she stays or goes, that's an indication of just how fractious this party is. Uh, that is uh, very true. And that's part of what I want to talk about, the party politics, where and why both parties are going good and where they're going bad, what it could mean for 2022. Number two, are the policies of the Biden administration to blame? No. What we're seeing is a surge of people to the border. We've seen that uh, in the past. But we inherited a totally broken system, broken intentionally. Not true, Secretary of State Tony Blinken. Border crisis countdowns continue to plague 
Uh, the border crisis continues to plague the Biden administration, and their explanations don't pass the lab test. Number one. The president has been clear that he is willing to negotiate. Democrats and Republicans should be able to find common ground. The president has said his red line is inaction, that we cannot afford not to make these investments. Uh, that is true, Anita Dunn. Let's see if they'll cut a deal. The sell for six. That's six trillion. Yes, the president will hit the road and try and tell America the only way for this country to fully recover is for him to spend six trillion dollars of money we don't have. We'll go over the perils of tax increases and spending increases and the real movement on possible compromise. But let's bring in John Levine. Uh, John had the story of the weekend and maybe for a long time. He talked about getting through the Freedom of Information Act, uh, e- email communications between the teachers union and the CDC. John, uh, you write for the New York Post. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me again. No problem, John. So tell me how you came upon this this communication. What made you think there was communication between the teachers union and the CDC? Well, after the CDC reopening guidance came out on February 12th, there was a lot of there was a lot of puzzlement because even though the guidance was, you know, lauded by the American Federation of Teachers, a lot of experts were saying, you know, the science is increasingly clear that schools can reopen with in-person learning, but the, the, the guidance kind of pumped the brakes on that, and it created a lot of conditions by which schools and so-called red zones, you know, high areas of coronavirus community spread could opt out. And, you know, people, including at CNN, like Jake Tapper, were saying, you know, 99% of kids fall into these red zones. So basically, we're not really moving anything here. And there was a lot of there was a lot of questions about why the CDC guidance wasn't following the science really on this issue. And now, through a Freedom of Information Act request, lo and behold, what we see is in the days immediately before the publication, the American Federation of Teachers, their top officials and Randy Weingarten, the president, were very heavily involved in lobbying the CDC behind the scenes in emails and phone calls to to pump the brakes on reopening and to create conditions by which individual teachers can opt out of reopening and just to sort of undermine and slow down the process. So we watched the communication I'm reading in your column and it says, hey, thanks so much for talking to us yesterday and just want to relay a little bit, uh, a little bit more about what we're hoping to get across. And I hope you'll announce just the whole cross contamination is everything we were told the Biden administration was against. Let the science to be the scientists and let the politicians be the politicians. But I guess he should have added, should I let the union president be able to talk to the scientists in order to come up with policy? Exactly. I mean, the American Federation of Teachers was provided a draft copy of the guidance in advance of publication, which they were invited to make edits to. A number of suggestions, I put that in quotes, air quote suggestions, were from the, uh, the union were adopted almost verbatim into the text. So I want you to hear, I'll, I'll share this with the audience who didn't happen to get the post yesterday. So a quote from the AFT senior, the American Federation of Teachers, senior director for health issues, to Kelly Troutner, uh, February 1st email. Uh, thank you again for Friday's rich discussion about forthcoming CDC guidance and for your openness to the suggestions made by our president, Randy Weigarten, and the AFT. We were able to review a copy, really, of the draft guidance document to provide some initial feedback to several staff. We believe our experience on the ground can inform and enrich thinking about what is practicable and prudent in future guidance documents. 
Oh, really? And then the response from the spokesperson uh, who said this when we thought it was a big deal to so the rest of America who read this, why is the CDC targeting the wet union? He said the AFT represents 1.7 million educators, healthcare professionals, and public employees who spent the last 14 months serving on the front lines of COVID-19. Oh, really? They're on the front lines while staying at home on Zoom? So naturally, have uh, we have been in regular touch with the agencies setting policy that affects their work and lives, including the CDC. Does that does that really assuage your worries? Well, you know, science has to be dispassionate. It has to be disinterested. We have to be able to make, you know, scientific calls and, and you know, change the status quo that we've become accustomed to. And this, this was a case where you had people who were not scientists and and you had a case where the interests of this group of people was contrary to increasingly what the science was saying, and it creates it creates confusion, and it creates the same sort of at least the appearance of political meddling, which you know this administration said that they were not going to do, and when they released this guidance, um, Dr. Rochelle Walensky told reporters that this was free of political meddling. And it was intended as a swipe at the previous administration for which that was they were often accused. And it's just not true. We've watched her make statements and walk them back. Remember when we had uh, Jen Psaki come out and say she was only speaking for herself? Really? When she speaks in front of the camera for the for the world to hear, she only speaks for herself, not a CDC director. And remember when she was forced to walk back these comments, John? Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real-world data. Can carry the virus, which means you can go anywhere, including to unvaccinated people, and you can't, can't get the virus, you can't carry the virus. But she had to walk that back a couple of days later because it kind of messed up the whole teacher thing, among many other things. Right. And I, I in the article, too, I don't have to tell you, they the, the the donations to the Democratic Party in January, February, March from the teachers union spiked considerably, including the American Federation of Teachers, who are among the deepest you know, pocketed Democratic donor constituencies out there. Uh, incredible. I want you to hear what Anina Dunn said on the stance of fully reopening our schools K through 12 this fall, this fall, not even this spring, but this fall. Listen to her. He said probably. He didn't say absolutely. But given the science, if the vaccination program in this country proceeds, if people do go get their vaccines, there he does believe that schools should be able to reopen in September and reopen safely following the CDC guidelines. But he said probably. He said did not say absolutely because we've all seen this since, unfortunately, January of 2020. It's an unpredictable yeah. virus. We can't look in a crystal ball and say what September looks like. Now, you can't look into a crystal ball, but guess what? Bars and restaurants are now open to 75% in most of these cities in New York. In Florida, I can't, they can't look into a crystal ball either, but they're saying go to school for the last year as well as go to work, as well as go to college, as well as go to, your, go to a restaurant indoor and outdoor. They're not looking at the crystal ball. They're saying, I look at the risks, and we got to get on with our lives. Why is she getting away with this? Why are they getting away with this? 
Well, well, Brian, students don't have a union. So that would be my answer. <laughs> so let me just tell you, John, what we're looking at now. For those of you who are listening to us, especially places like Florida, and say, what is the big deal? We're all back in school. You're not. In Oregon, Reynolds School District, most schools let children return to the classroom two days a week. Seattle, K-5 through are back in school four days a week, but only two hours a day. New York City, the teachers are still missing from 75% of the classrooms. That means the kids go to the classroom and watch the teacher on Zoom. Los Angeles, middle and high schoolers spend only two to three days a week in a physical school building. Teachers often stream lessons virtually, even while students are in the classroom. That's a story again there. Uh, and this is goes on and on depending on the city. In Chicago, they're still wrestling over this, and they, they are trying to out-liberalize each other. The liberal mayor can't get the, the union to get their teachers to go back to school, even though they got a zillion dollars. They separated all the desks. They still can't get them back in. And now we see why. I mean, if anyone is not turned off, you are just too blind by political persuasion to understand how bad this is. John, we're losing a generation of kids. Right. You know, and it's and I it's it's like so many other things when these sort of things happen, it's going to disproportionately fall on poor and, you know, disadvantaged children. Because if you're rich, you can figure out a workaround. You you know, some you can send your kid to a you know, a school that's open, a private school, or you can move to another state. Or you can get private tutors. But you know, if you're in the inner city or you're you're in a place where you don't really have those options, you're at the mercy of the situation you're in. And it's, I'm struck also just by, you know, the pandemic presented so many challenges for essential workers. And, you know, I remember the doctors showing up in March and April and May, and they wouldn't have PPE in those days. Some of them were wearing garbage bags. And I remember the subway operators who never stopped working and the bus drivers in New York City that never stopped working. And it is, it's a considerably different approach that those essential workers took to fulfilling their responsibilities during the pandemic. I would say so. That's very diplomatic of you to say that. Uh, John Levine, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Bottom of the hour, Brett Bear, 1-866-408-7669. It's just so, uh, it is so nauseating to think that people are still getting paid to not go to school because they feel the risk is too great. We know that's not the case. We know that they get used to their uh, their sandals lifestyle and don't want to go back. They, even though for the most part, teachers are the most caring, underpaid people maybe in our country. That includes the three months off that they get. Everybody remembers the one that made impact. You remember the one they were bad because it's so rare. And then you have the teachers' unions keeping them out of school, allowing them to duck their number one responsibility, and that is to not make things worse for the kids. I mean, there's so many people, uh, teachers, that go to school even in war zones, let alone a pandemic that is waning because you can't even commit to September because you don't know if there'll be another wave. Commit to September. Don't give me the worst-case scenario and start with the worst case. Not going to work. I'll take calls next, one 408 7669 and they get back to you. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The new from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We know big government does not have all the answers. We know there's not a program for every problem. 
We know and we have worked to give the American people a smaller, less bureaucratic government in Washington. And we have to give the American people one that lives within its means. The era of big government is over. Right. And those were the days when Bill Clinton had to deal with a very uh, resurgent Republican Party and was able to co-opt their agenda, come out the victor, and America's deficit went down to zero. Zero. But those days are over. And guess what? Joe Biden's embracing these days. Uh, Will, WABC, and he's actually the architect of him. Will, you're listening on WABC and Quorum. Hey, Will. Yeah, how you doing, Brian? I have a, I have a little activism for some of the parents to uh, uh, perform. Maybe when uh, the schools are closed and the teachers are out to dinner or at a bar somewhere, maybe they should make a big deal of it at the bar saying, listen, here's our school teachers are out partying, yet they can't go to work or eating out. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, well, make it uncomfortable. Like, on, I think you're, you're calling from Long Island, so I think that for the most part we've been lucky. I think that at least my district, they went back to school. They gave them an option. They have a hybrid option. But for the most part, the kids are back in school, even though you can't use lockers. Uh, gym is totally different. There was, a, there, was a, there was a long delay on sports. But we, we got it better than most, Will. Yeah, I know. Knock on wood. Let's hope it stays that way. But these these school districts in other states, maybe they should take uh, uh, water, uh, Congressman, uh, Congresswoman Waters' uh, advice. You know, and get, get in the face, get in people's faces. Yeah, I don't. I think we'd be a crazy country to do that. People would be fighting left, left and right. But I understand your frustration. Well, thanks, Paul. Listening online in Long Beach, California. Hey, Paul. Good morning, Brian. Things Thanks getting better in California. You ready to reopen? Yeah. Well, places in Orange County are already open. I, uh, my, a friend and I had um, uh, enjoyed a nice dinner, mask free, indoors or out at a restaurant yesterday in Orange County. So nice. Yeah. So it's 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 a welcome change. So what's on your mind? Uh, my point is, uh, with respect to GOP fractiousness, um, yeah, politicians like Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney, who they know. They were willing to, you know, curry their own media favor uh, by supporting impeachment, even though they ought to know, I mean, as a legal matter, that Trump did not do anything illegal or impeachable. So, you know, they're willing to let their own personal dislike of President Trump uh, overwhelm their support, their will, any willingness to support him on policies that they they purport to agree with. So I, I, I think mean, that Liz Cheney correct. and Mitt Romney agree with maybe nine tenths of Donald Trump's agenda. Nine tenths, maybe about they differ on Afghanistan, maybe and Syria, but that's it. That's typical. That's normal. You don't agree on foreign policy. Okay, no problem. There's no problem with that. But they could not get past the personal thing. And look at how and Liz Cheney's gotten blowback in Wyoming, but she is standing strong. And listen to the way Mitt Romney was greeted in Utah over the weekend by the Republican Party as he tries to speak. He's a person who, uh, who says what he thinks, and I don't hide the fact that I wasn't a fan of our last president's character issues. I mean, can you imagine being shouted down in Utah from your own party? Yeah, well, you know that 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 is a reassuring sign for for fellow um, 
base voters like me, because, you know, the reason the fractiousness, even if people don't like Trump, people are willing to or, or we're willing to support him. And so people who purport we don't like, you know, we may think that that someone like Mitt Romney was is a genial person that is likable. But if they are willing to, like, be so linguine spined as to, like, they don't stand up for their own principles and support someone who's actually pushing things they support, then we don't trust people like that. No matter how nice a speech they give or how eloquent they sound, we want someone who produces results. I hear you, and wins. Uh, and Donald Trump is still holding on to the fact that he won the election, but he didn't win the election, and that's what people have to understand. And I think President Trump has got to get over it. Just stop talking about it. Win 2022, line yourself up to run in 2024 if that's what you want to do at 76 years old. But don't talk about uh, 2020 anymore. Uh, just move forward. Learn from it. Uh, go win the areas you lost, like Arizona and Georgia. Brian Kilmeade Show. The Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A bunch of us went to the White House, made a proposal, and uh, the president indicated he wanted to negotiate, but unfortunately the next morning, uh, they changed their mind, and, and Chuck Schumer announced that we were going to do this by reconciliation, which knocks Republicans out of the game altogether. So let's hope we don't have a repeat of that, because I think we can come up with a, a good bill that's bipartisan and one that actually will sur survive over time, because it'll be more sustainable with Republican and Democrat support. Susan Collins, uh, Senator Bill Cassidy, that was Senator Rob Portman. They all had the same thing. They believe that even though they are offering like $600 billion for infrastructure— and President Biden's at $2.4 trillion. He believes that they're going to negotiate. Is he naive? Brett Baer is inside Washington every single day, uh, getting set to host special report. Hey, Barrett, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Do you understand? I've never heard three senators on a weekend say that they're, they're optimistic they can get something done. Yeah, Should they have I be optimistic? That, uh... I don't know if they should or not. I mean, the past track record, track record of this administration is not that, but the long scope of Joe Biden's career is that. And, uh, you know, we have to see. And if there's ever one that they could negotiate on, it's this one. Uh, but uh, we, we don't know just by the track record of, you know, 102 days. How significant would that be if they came down to a number that was, you know, under a trillion and they did it? I mean, we haven't seen anything like that. Police reform could be next. Yeah. No, it could open the door to some negotiations. And, and it may be that Joe Biden has done enough uh, on the progressive side uh, to, you know, give him some some street cred with the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders of the world that he could negotiate on other bills and get, you know, half a loaf or whatever they're looking for. Um, Republicans think that there's a possibility, but um, there are some in the Republican Party who say that's just being naive and they're going to keep on steamrolling until they they lose the House and Senate. What I understand, Brett, is the, the economy is recovering. This isn't the Great Depression or the Great Recession. The, the economy's recovering. So he continues to say we need emergency spending to get our economy going again. And then all of a sudden, Ron Klain comes out and says that the reason why it's going again is because is because of the rescue plan, which had very little rescue in it. 
Yeah. So in fact, I, let, let I, you, I just want you to hear what Ron Klain said yesterday yeah. on Face of the Nation. People have watched their government deliver 220 million COVID shots in 100 days. They've watched us deliver a rescue plan that took this economy that was dead in the water 100 days ago and created more new jobs in the president's first 100 days than any president in history has created. I, that, that's some rich spin. I mean, most of the money's not it even is. out the door yet. No, listen, the money from the first stimulus, the first COVID stimulus, is not completely spent. <laughs> I mean— it's just, um, you know, you can't say that that money that just passed is creating all of this success. You just can't. Um, it makes a sphere. The markets say, hey, look at all this money coming into the markets, 100%. But as far as actual projects that have launched, um, these local and state governments, they can't absorb that amount of money that quickly to put it out the door to – bid. They just can't. And you also remember the Obama rescue package, the $800 billion, the stimulus package. Remember there were no shovel-ready jobs, so I thought these projects were ready to go and there's so much red tape in these states that nothing was getting done. They end up just turning the money over in many cases to the states to continue to pay their employees. What's going to change now? All of a sudden, is red tape going to be gone? Well, some of it is gone because of the Trump administration. Um and some of it is, uh, you know, smoothed a little bit, uh, but there's still a lot of it on the state and local level that, um, yeah, they're going to take this money and hold it or use it for something else. Uh, that's what we saw with the shovel-ready jobs that weren't shovel-ready. And there's still a lot of questions about that $800 billion and where exactly it went. Uh, you mean to this day, and guess who was in charge of that? Sheriff Joe. Yeah, uh, the vice president, uh, 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 Vice Pre- Barack Obama's vice president, Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, President Obama called him the sheriff uh, at the time, Vice President Biden. Right, fantastic. Uh, all right, let's talk about what's happening with the Republican Party. A lot of people talking about the booing of Mitt Romney over the weekend of the Utah Republican Party and the pushback on Liz Cheney, who continues to come out against Trump, even though she's a staunch conservative. No one doubts her credentials. Uh, so we see that Republicans are pushing for to loosen up gun rules. There are also seven states have passed laws uh, to would prevent transgender youth from participating in student athletics for, for women, obviously. Uh, five states have already passed bills that would limit the rights of protesters. These are things they get on the same page on because the protesters oftentimes morph into rioters who wreck cities. So these governors taking proactive. It looks like Republicans are on the same page on that. But how big a deal is the Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, Ben Sass, Adam Kinzinger uh, faction of the Republican Party? Well, it's just a big deal that they're spending any time focused on it. I mean, they have the opportunity uh, to take over control of two-thirds of Washington in 2022. And it's simply a matter of painting by numbers to be able to get those majorities. They're so slim that historically it's in the Republicans' benefit. You add to that the redistricting in states that are reddish or more red, um, they should be able to do this. But to focus on booing Mitt Romney at a convention speech um, in Utah or to focus on getting rid of Liz Cheney, who what she's tweeting is not wrong, uh, let's be clear, Uh, There is not evidence at all that the election was stolen. And um, this whole back and forth about the big lie, it seems like politically, is not worth the moment 
for the GOP. There should be more focus. Uh, if you talk to any political expert, they're they're like, let's you know move on and focus on the next thing. Everybody that accused uh, all these voting machines, uh, Dominion, of being sued, Smartmatic or being Smart Tech, whatever it is, are being sued. Uh, and and the lawyers that are being sued to say, why did you believe me? Like uh, Lynn Wood and, yeah. um, you know, and, and the Cindy others. Powell. Yes, Cindy Powell. They're saying, why did you believe me? I was, you know, I'm just saying stuff. Don't, you know, don't take me on my word. So there's no one who stood up and said, hey, besides the My Pillow guy, I have proof, which not many people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are believing the My Pillow guy. Uh, so having said that, if there's ever a time to move on, now's the time. But for Democrats, they're also having trouble because they have a bunch of retirements in the House. Competitive seats are starting to add up. they got a bunch of retirements. Lee Zeldin is the only one in a competitive district for Republicans that seems to be looking to, uh, to move on. So I think they are going to have their hands full. They also have somewhat of a civil war because their squad with their defund the police and a lot of their woke politics is remarkably unpopular. James Carville continues to sound the alarm. Listen to what he said over the weekend, Cut 32. In politics, you should speak the language of the people. You should speak clear, direct English and address people as they address each other, not like the humanities department at Amherst wants you to address everybody. This whole defund the police stuff cost us congressional seats. People don't want to live like this, scared to, to address an issue because it, it might come out the wrong way. And no one is using their language except for... You know, some of our people on television, if you go to and if you need wokeness, just go listen to NPR. So he's he's sounding the alarm. Do you think there's much residence there outside Bill Maher or people echoing that? Are they ironically afraid to say that? Yeah, I think they are. I think inside the Democratic Party, there's a lot of folks that say this is why we focused on this. What What is the deal? But they're not. They're not as bold as James Carville, and more power to him. He's he's always been like that. Uh, and Bill Maher, standing up to, you know, the the wave of uh, political correctness. Remember that this is one of the reasons Donald Trump had such resonance in 2015 and 2016, is because the pendulum had swung and political correctness had gone off the deep end. Um, when that starts coming back, that there is. The possibility that the pendulum swings back, and uh, I think that's what Republicans are hoping for, but they have to get their own house in order to be able to sing from the same sheet of music. Absolutely. And the other thing, Brad, I think we got to talk about that tennis special election, uh, that Texas special election that was up. So it's the top two vote getters, and they were both Republicans. This is a seat that Democrats thought they could win. Donald Trump by one, or won by single digits, I think four or five points, and they didn't. They got shut out of the runoff. Yeah, that's you know I don't know if we can talk, call it a canary in the coal mine, but I think you can say um, the hopes of Texas being blue are um, diminishing, and uh, I think that you know it, there's a lot of demographic shifts, and there's people from California that are moving to Texas for tax reasons, um, but the question is, will they bring their politics with them? And the same thing is happening in Florida. People are liking the way these states are dealing with big issues like COVID. And taxes, and um, we'll see if that changes their makeup. So on Saturday, I decided to read uh, page six of the New York Post, and I'm going to say, oh, yeah, see what's going on, find out what Kardashian broke up with uh, Kanye West. And then I look down, I see Brett Baer 
one of the sightings, having dinner in Palm Beach with Sylvester Stallone and respective <laughs> spouses. Yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. I, I met him, um, I guess, a couple months ago. And then, um, and then, yeah, we our wives uh, had mutual friends, and we set up dinner, and we had a great dinner. He's a really interesting guy, and his wife, Jennifer, is lovely. So, um, yeah, I, I, they didn't put what I ate. Apparently, he had the pasta and the salad, but I did not get my food mentioned, which I was offended by. Why? why what, that should not be allowed. <laughs> and it's Brett with one T. So, you know, page six has got some some cleaning up to do. So, Brett, what was it like? At, at any point, did it was it just a couple's date? Was it just sly, just just shooting the breeze? Did, did, or did you yeah. feel the whole time I was with maybe, maybe one of the most famous people in the world? You know, I didn't think like that, Brian. I really I enjoyed the conversation, and uh, it was really interesting. And And – I, I guess I didn't know all everything about him, and um, and we talked about a bunch of things. So, but I'll leave the conversation there. And uh, because you want to have was, another one, and if you yeah, give out exactly. too many details, there'll be no second date. No, it was great. It was great, and uh, look forward to doing it again. But you know, you've rubbed elbows with big time people, and um, I think that they appreciate when you just are uh, who you are, and that's how uh, you always are, and. That's how I aspire to be. I t- I'm, I act totally different around famous people. <laughs> I, I that's one thing I pride myself a total on. Total geek. No, really? no, I act cooler than I actually am. Right. <laughs> well, that's possible. <laughs> right. So I mean, yeah. It, did you say that's not possible? I said that's possible. Oh, okay, yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So no, no, that is co- so cool because Sylvester Stallone. I have my one thing with him is every movie there seems to be a press moment where reporters, legitimate reporters, get on television on in his movies asking questions. You know, all the Rocky movies, he's at a press conference, and you'll see Larry Merchant there or somebody there. I just want to one time be that guy who doesn't believe he can win or doesn't believe he's, you know, he's that, you know, something. I'm never that guy. <laughs> one thing that I'll tell you, I did not appreciate that he wrote Rocky and uh, was like the creative genius behind that. And um, I didn't fully appreciate the story at the beginning. I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd read it sometime, but um, wow, what a career. I mean, it's amazing. Brett, next time you have dinner with me, with him, call me. I will okay, get you ready you for You were story. not ready for that dinner. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> that but is so unlike you. How do you, the year was night? I mean, the guy, that was his story. No, I understand, but I didn't fully like get the whole like you know how he auditioned for it and was turned down and all of this stuff, the the drama ahead of it, and uh, I mean, what a what an amazing career. Did he ask, uh, did he ask you questions about you? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It all was right. good. It was a good back and forth. It was great. All right. If I I spend more time, you can with this. come next time. <laughs> I, I spent more time with this than I did the whole budget and infrastructure package. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Brett. I added disservice okay. to my listeners. But as soon as I saw that, I was like, I hope Brett does not cancel Monday because we got to talk about this. <laughs> All right. And I don't know if that's going to be, I don't know, are you going to be the power player now with Chris Wallace? Uh, no, I don't think so. Right. No. Chris doesn't. Chris doesn't like me. All right. I didn't think so. 
I, I can't blame him, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, Brett, thanks so much. We're going to watch it six tonight. All right, see you, man. All right, back in a moment. Yo, Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is a question of fairness. That's why I oppose biological boys who are trans competing in girls' sports in school. It just isn't fair, and we have to protect girls' sports in our but, school. But- yeah, that's right, and everyone's all mad at that. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade, and it makes me think there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. So Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, was found. They caught up with her as she declares she's going to run for governor. And they asked her about these this trans sports. And at least seven states have governors trying to ban it. Right away, because if you're a girl sport competing against a guy, you're going to lose almost every time, except for the rare exception. Just like if you take the best tennis players in the world, female tennis players in long, Serena Williams, she's going to lose to the top, I guess, 50 men's players. That's just the way it is. It's not an insult. So he went on to, uh, Caitlin went on to say, I didn't expect to get asked this in my Saturday morning coffee, tweeted this out, but I'm clear about where I stand. It's an issue of fairness. We need to protect girls in our schools. I don't see a problem with that at all. No, it's also, I mean, the hypocrisy for Democrats. They care about women, except when it comes to transgender sports or when it comes to working moms and teaching with COVID um, or if it comes to, you know, women in Afghanistan and the Taliban. Right. Absolutely. Next, NBC picked up comedies Young Rock and Keenan for sex season. Uh, Young Rock, surprisingly interesting. He's only in a talk show format, flashes back to when he was younger at some key points in his life. I don't know there'll be a second season. I mean, he's only 50-something years old. They've had about 13 episodes already. Uh, the two new comedy uh, that ranks as the number two comedy of the season, 18 to 49, and Nets' number one comedy debut across digital platforms. So uh, Keenan is NBC's number four digital comedy launch to date. Interesting they say digital. Keenan, uh, you know, the Keenan from... Um, SNL, yeah, and then he did SNL. all... Um, also, I mean, it's a comedy, so it doesn't have to be totally accurate of... Rock the rock growing up. But it up. seems to like take stuff from his real life. I I'm mean, sure. He has his actual coaches, I don't know, from the one episode I saw. <laughs> Next, new scene from Disneyland Snow White ride is prompting backlash. According to Disney, Snow White's enchanted wish kiss takes guests aboard a, window, a wooden mine chart as they accompany the princess as she escapes the clutches of the evil queen. The ride is enhanced with new music, okay? However, the true love kiss, grand finale between Snow White and her prince, that is drawing scrutiny because he gives. Her, an unwanted kiss. She's sleeping at the time. He kissed her on the cheek, and people have a problem with this. She couldn't give consent. Right, because she was out. It's ridiculous. It's, come on. Is this going to happen? Is this happening? I really just hope it's people trying to make a story out of nothing. But it's. But I if hope... they change the story, it's out of nothing. Or if they change the ride, then it's really terrible. It's hard enough getting Disney open again, let alone having to adjust Snow White. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.